102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Growing up in a digital world involves new challenges tied to protecting your children's privacy, self-esteem, and exposure to the dark side of the internet. Today, I talk with Diana Graber, co-founder of CyberWise, on how to help you to help your children build a healthy relationship with technology. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Diana. Thank you for having me. What is happening with kids growing up in a digital world since birth now? Oh, boy. Well, a lot. <laughs> this is a broad view. I mean, we have to remember this is a generation who has never known life without screens. They were babies. Screens were part of their lives. And so what we're seeing from the research is, you know, the way these kids are socializing is really different from any generation previous to them. Um, I'll just give you some examples. Once they're on their phones or devices, they feel like they have to be connected 24-7 or at least available 24-7. That causes a lot of anxiety in some kids. Um, Everything they do is permanent. It's public. It's quantifiable. So a lot of their popularity is judged by likes and followers. There's no social cues. So that makes it tough sometimes for kids to understand communication. It's super visual. So as we know, a lot of kids worry about how they look, you know, much more so in the past. And then one thing I really worry about is um, it's algorithmic. So largely algorithms are deciding what our kids like and what they see from a very young age. So all of this stuff really makes childhood look so different today than it did a long time ago. What I'm also seeing is that they don't feel comfortable picking up a phone and just having a conversation anymore. Right. Which is strange, right? Before kids would talk for hours on the phone and they think that's a very weird thing to do. And instead they're snapping each other on Snapchat, or just these really short lines that go back and forth, back and forth, seem to me that they're having quality conversation either. Yeah, well, again, it's like we have to look at it through their lens. I mean, to us, that looks strange. To them, it's life as, that's life as they know it. You know, <laughs> That's what our world looks like to them today. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, you bring up a good point about they're not developing those social emotional skills. Well, a lot of that work takes place when they're really young. That's what I look at a lot is, you know, our young children on devices, things that they're saying that are maybe educational, whatever, but they're losing that opportunity to make face-to-face connections or to hear how what a voice sounds like or to see mom's face when something's sad. All of those things build those such important social-emotional skills that kids will need when they go online later in life and start interfacing with faceless others. So what will you recommend in that situation, or do you just not put kids on devices early on, or find that everywhere I go, I see toddlers on devices now? Yeah. I'm not a big proponent of giving kids devices when they're toddlers, honestly. I think that's such an important time for kids to develop those social-emotional skills that I just talked about, and the research bears that out. We're getting a lot of long-term research, finally, on the impact of devices on young brains, and we know that it's not good. It hinders you know, speech development and understanding emotional cues and all of that stuff that is built by face-to-face communication, listening to mom read a story or dad read a story, playing with friends in real life. That stuff is so important when they're little. But that being said, there are 
are some ways to introduce technology uh, age appropriately and developmentally appropriately. For example, one of the types of technology use that's great for a little toddler is FaceTime or, you know, when someone sees a face. So that's a great opportunity for mom, dad, grandma, whatever, to put a child on their lap and FaceTime with relatives because then a child sees, oh, this is a great way to use technology to connect with people. I see a face, someone I love. So really the goal here is we can't say no screens ever because that's not realistic, but we have to find ways to introduce them that are developmentally appropriate. What's interesting is I was having a conversation with a mom who was telling me that her five-year-old was trying to talk her into buying a phone, an iPhone, you know, one where you have a lot of maps that yeah. you can be on. And the question is, do you think there's a age that is the most appropriate for a child to have a phone? Or, you know, if there were no apps, then it's probably less of an issue. But I think the challenge is now they want to be on multiple, multiple social media platforms, for example. Right. 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 And, and that's, guy. we get asked this question so much, as you can imagine. And it's not just the phone, but it's think of it as a connected device that could potentially connect your child to the whole world and everyone in it and everything they say and do. And so as far as what is the right age, I mean, I always answer that question with like seven questions. It's actually in the first chapter of my book. But ask yourself these questions. Uh, does your child know what to do if they're cyberbullied? Do they know what to do if they're approached by someone that's a possible predator? Can they recognize misinformation? Can they protect their personal privacy? You know, all, all these questions you have to ask yourself first if your child can handle these situations, then they're ready for a connected device. If they can't, there's some education that should be done before they are connected to the whole world. Can you give us the title of your book and where it can be purchased so that for parents who want to look up those seven questions? Sure. It's called Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology. It's available where books are sold, so it's on Amazon, and it's both available as an audiobook and a book that you can read. Okay, perfect. Um, what would you say is the best way for children to learn and understand what's appropriate online then? I, I think when you say online, are you talking about apps? Are you talking about webs? I mean, there's so much there. Like what specifically... I think any time they get on the internet, right? Yeah. It's, it's exposure to the world, exposure yeah. to the apps. Yeah. So I think it's a progression, as I mentioned. So there's things you can do when kids are younger. You can model appropriate technology use, show them what you're looking at, how you're responding, what you don't respond to, um, how you find things, how you interact with people. All of that modeling is so important because that's how a young child learns how to be an adult. They do what an adult does, and one of the things that an adult does is use the Internet. That's good up to a point. When kids start reaching adolescence, you know, it's natural for them to look to their peers to figure out who they are and what they do, and that includes how they use digital technologies. So one of the things that we're really big on is education. So we offer a curriculum called Cyber Civics that's taught in middle school, and it teaches kids all of these different things about digital life about their reputation and privacy and social media apps and predators, all that stuff. But what's nice about it is it teaches them together with their peers so they can talk about this stuff and come to norms and agreements and discover what's appropriate. And probably the most important thing is they start looking out for each other online. So honestly, in the years that I've done this work, it is the only thing that's effective because parents only have so much sway in a world that kids know we didn't grow up with, you know. And so when they start learning about this stuff in the terms of digital literacy, because it's the literacy of their day, 
it makes a deeper impact. And, and frankly, I think schools need to address this. It's just as important as reading, writing, and arithmetic because all of that stuff happens online. So I'm just such, such a big proponent of that. So it sounds like parents need to push for this to be part of the curriculum at school. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's nice is a lot of states throughout the United States are passing legislation that mandates this type of curriculum being included in the curriculum. I don't believe we've done that yet in California. I think there's people working on it. But as that happens, you're going to see this being a part of the curriculum more and more in the years to come. The challenge of telling kids that they need to behave a certain way online or the consequences, it's, it's hard for them to understand until well, they experience hard. it, but then it's too late. Right. So hard. So a couple things there. Um, one of the reasons we wait till middle school to teach kids digital literacy is it takes the kids about 12 years of life to develop abstract thinking skills. And abstract thinking is a prerequisite to ethical thinking. So every all these things that we talk about that are so hard for kids to figure out and the mistakes they made, it's because it requires the ethical thinking skills that a young kid doesn't have. Like they don't know not to respond to a predator or they don't know not to upload a picture that's going to hurt their friend's feelings. All of that stuff is so hard for a young kid to understand, and that's why the mistakes are often made when they're young. So as they get older, there's a couple things. They're smarter, so hopefully they won't make those really terrible, dumb mistakes. They're still going to make mistakes because they're kids, but they will be farther and fewer between. But more importantly, if you're teaching them digital literacy in school, they can do practice scenarios and stories and, and practice these things and do their mistakes offline with their peers before they go online and make the same mistakes in a place that's more public and permanent. It's interesting that you say this because the social media apps, it's real time. Yeah. So it's very reactive yeah. in yeah. the posting you know, in that moment. And that's what the apps are encouraging and the algorithms are rewarding them for it. There is no going back. So the question then becomes, it is a strange way to interact with other people. How can you navigate around that if everyone else is doing it? Well, it's your, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, kids aren't good at that long-term thinking. You know, that prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop till 25. So, of course, kids are going to make snap decisions that they're going to pay for later. So the best we can do right now, honestly, the only thing that works is, like, teach them about it every week, revisit the topic, say, hey, this is what your digital reputation is. If you post this, this is who might see it. These could be the consequences. Let's look at these stories. It, it happened to other kids here. All of that stuff is so necessary to a child who's sitting alone in their bedroom and is thinking about hitting press. Maybe maybe they'll take a split second to say, hey, we just learned about this last week and look what happened to this kid and maybe I don't want that to happen to me. So they're I mean, there are so many ways to address this issue with kids. I believe the only way that works is that education piece because we can't lecture them about their online life. That doesn't work. Um, we don't want them to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes because sometimes those mistakes will live with them forever. So what's the lesson there? I mean, it's complex. We've got to help these kids in any way we can. I'm also hearing that children are being exposed to porn early now. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like the filters need to catch up, right? You think? <laughs> I mean, you know, a filter is only so good when something's instantaneous, right? I mean, it, it's a pretty remarkable filter that's going to catch everything. 
And kids are so smart when they know that certain words are being filtered, they'll change a letter to like a hashtag or something. So they will bypass the filters. So stuff seeps through all the time. I mean, one of the things I do, I give a lot of parent presentations and I, I do this little thing on Instagram. Before I give a parent presentation, I do it that day. So I'll do hashtag babes or hashtag sexy on Instagram just to see what pops up. And I'll take a screenshot of it and show it to the parents. And, I mean, it's basically pornography. <laughs> you know, it's pretty, it's pretty out there. And the same thing, TikTok. I mean, just scroll through. The TikTok algorithm rewards things that are more sexy and salacious. And that stuff is more viral. And kids know that. So... There's a lot of that kind of stuff on all these networks. Kids are exposed to it. It's, they kind of become immune to it. So I really encourage parents to look at what your kids are looking at, do it with them, talk about it. Just be aware of what's available so easily on these apps. And that's really hard to do, right, because you're, the kids are showing you one thing that right. they want you to think they're looking at, and then they're right. looking at something else while you're not looking. Yeah, yeah, but that's another good reason why, you know, we advocate for doing things together with them every step of the way. So if you're, like, modeling when the kids are little and then they get older and they say, hey, let's play this game together, and they get a little older and you're like, let's check this out together, let me show you this, then when they finally get or old enough for Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, you open it too and you follow each other and you show each other what you're doing. And I know that most parents would say, oh, gosh, my 13-year-old would never do this. But I teach 12- and 13-year-olds, and they often say to me, gosh, I wish my mom was more interested in what I was posting on Instagram. And that window is not going to be open for very long. But I can tell you from experience that when they first join these apps, they want everyone to see what they're doing, including their parents. So I'm always telling parents, take advantage of that small window and be like their advocate or their friend or, the, you know, see what they're seeing and ask them why they like it and have them show you that. And that keeps that door of communication open so that hopefully if and when something dangerous or scary happens, they are not afraid to come to you. Well, that's an interesting perspective because what's also different is the number of selfies that kids are posting, which is a lot to be putting out there. Yeah, funny that you mentioned that because we have a lesson on in our cyber civics curriculum called Myself, My Selfie that uh, directly addresses that. <laughs> and what we do with kids is we say, you know, who do you, what do you think the first selfie is? And, you know, they mention some celebrity. And we say, well, actually, you know, famous artists painted selfies ages ago, and we can still see them today. Let's take a look at some of them. And so we look at Van Gogh and, you know, all the famous artists that – painted selfies, and we talk about how much information that picture gives us even today about that person. And so that gets us into the conversation of think about the selfies you post and how much information you're giving away. Are you comfortable giving away that much information that's going to live online forever? And it's just a different way to look at it so that kids can perhaps be more thoughtful of even the images they put up of themselves when they think of it from that perspective. Well, what's interesting is they don't think it's harmful at all. Right, because for them, they're willing to give pictures and information away. It's what influencers do. You know, influencers do that, but um, you would be surprised. The average teen, like the research shows that as they reach like high school, they are concerned about that stuff. 
that, that they're more concerned than ever about going to a party and being pictured or taking a photo that's inappropriate or that they're like, weird or that someone's going to share it in a place they don't want it to be shared or that they're going to make a meme out of it. So that privacy concern, surprisingly, is something that teenagers think about. You know, there are those that want to be influencers and feel comfortable sharing all that stuff, but there is a large percentage of teens that are just completely uncomfortable with all of that sharing. What about online privacy? Isn't that something that's hard for them to understand as to what's private and what's public? Yeah, and that's hard, and that's another topic we address pretty deeply in the curriculum um, with the really first basic understanding that, you know, nothing online is free. We pay for it with our personal information. And then, you know, we do all kinds of different lessons that really underscore that. For example, we teach them the the language of online privacy, like when you go online and sign up for something, what's a cookie, what's a web beacon, what does all that mean? And then I actually have the students read the privacy policies of the social media networks they use. Um, Last year, they read TikTok's privacy policy, and they were pretty shocked at what they learned about all of the ways that that app invades their privacy and collects their personal information and what they do with it. So the advantage there wasn't me lecturing them about that. It was them discovering for themselves how much privacy they give away in exchange for what they get. And then they can think about if it, the exchange is worth it. And for some kids, you know, they're, they're not so hot on it once they have all of that education under their belts. Well, it's interesting. It's happening with adults too, right? Yeah. For that free Gmail account, they will provide their personal information. Well, we're, we're kind of not so good at this stuff either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I can't solve all the world's problems, but I can't focus on the kids. And, and sort of what we've decided through our two companies, CyberWise and CyberCivics, is really to double down on the kids. And one thing that we built into the curriculum are these send-home parent letters that have activities that families can do together that align with every lesson we teach. And we thought, you know, maybe this way the parents can learn too. And it can be like a family education because um, going directly to the parents, we found, didn't work so well because parents are so busy. But if you can get to the kids and have the kids take it home to the parents, that was one way to educate everybody under the same roof. Oh, interesting approach. It is true, though. I think most parents are distracted. (laughs) They're busy. I mean, it's a crazy world we live in, and it's hard to keep up with all this stuff. What would be your five tech tips in helping families thrive in the digital world? Oh, boy. So I think number one, I'd say as much as you can, try to introduce technology to your children slowly and developmentally appropriately. And if you can please wait until they're at least 13 to have those social media apps, I think that you'll be so happy that you did that. They'll finally be have that ethical thinking in place to make better decisions. Number two, I'd say whatever they do, do it together. Explain what you're doing online. Show them how you use your own technology. Uh, and number three goes hand in hand with that. Um, be curious about what they're doing. Ask questions. See what they're watching on YouTube. Find out what they like and what influences they follow and why. Uh, number four is probably the most important. Don't freak out <laughs> when something bad happens online. Um, try to stay calm and know that you're their advocate. And you know, don't take their device away because they're never going to come to you again with a problem. And then finally, please remember that technology is just a tool. It's how we use it that makes it a good or bad one. So let's try to train our kids to use their technology well. And I think um, that we can hope that they will all do that in the future and avoid a lot of the problems that we worry about today. And should they be watching chat apps too? Well, that's a really big, broad question because there's a lot of different kind of chat apps. 
And it really goes to what I just said, you know, it's a tool and it's really how they use the tool and what age they are when they use a tool that makes it good or bad. If families don't have access to your curriculum through their schools, is it possible for them to go on your site and do it with their child? Oh, absolutely. So we have two websites. Um, our site for parents is, is cyberwise.org, and then our curriculum site is cybercivics.com. On the cybercivics site, we have some free lessons that we give away. We also have a homeschool um, version of our curriculum, so parents can teach it alone to their child or get a group of up to 10 kids and teach it to them. So we offer it at a substantially reduced rate for the homeschool use. Does it work better if the kids are with each other and they have that social connection in going through through it? Or do you think it's it's just as effective for one-to-one parent and child? Well, I think it's better if you can do it with more than one child. Um, what I tell families, if you don't aren't able to do that, if you don't have a group that you can get together or at least two siblings, you become the second student and do it together with your child that way. Okay, so perhaps uh, your child can have friends and their parents and then right. form a group and then do the curriculum together. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and we have a lot of families that do that. Yeah, they seem to like it, and I, I hope that it makes a difference. And I, I, I love that aspect because then the parents are really learning everything as well. Well, thank you for sharing your expertise on Spark today, Diana. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me.